Hello, and welcome to another episode of Family Law and Lattes. This podcast is for family law professionals in England and Wales looking for straightforward, helpful tips or toolkits to tackle all aspects of family law. Basically, something you can listen to for half an hour whilst you're enjoying your cup of coffee. My name is Melanie Batiar Samuel, and today I'm joined by Françoise Bonnaï Valmorin of FBV Family Law. Françoise is both a qualified French family law avocat at the Paris Bar and an English family law solicitor. Françoise advises clients in cross-border divorce disputes, as well as separation, financial settlements, childcare arrangements, etc. All of her cases have an international element. Today, we will be discussing the latest updates in French family law, and more importantly, what practicalities us English family law practitioners need to consider when dealing in Anglo-French matters. Hello, Françoise! Hi, Melanie! Welcome to Family Law and Lattes. Thank you so much for taking the time to come and speak to me today. I am so looking forward to your briefing on all things French family law. So are you ready to start? Yes, thanks. All right, let's do this. I have a whole bunch of questions I'm going to ask. It covers a mixture of practicalities for English lawyers to think about when looking at French family law, but also the recent updates which have happened in France. There's been quite a lot of changes. So we're going to chop and change, start of divorce, move on to children. Um, the first question I have is about representation. So being represented by lawyers, what's that like in France? What's happened on that front? Yeah, it's different in France and in England because in France now it is compulsory to have a legal representation when you divorce. Before it was not compulsory. And before we could have one lawyer for two for both spouses in France. Right, so okay. we've got an opposite trade in England because now in England we've got the DIY divorce and people do it themselves. In in France, this is no longer possible. Okay. Um, on the topic of divorces, the grounds or the causes for divorce, um, how is that moving? Because I think there's been some changes there as well. Yeah. So the general... Uh, Ground for divorce are still the same that we've got divorce by mutual consent in France. Mm -hmm. And we, we have this sort of divorce since 1975. Yeah, when yeah, we are still waiting for that in England. <laughs> we've got accepted divorce. We've got divorce for final breakdown of the marriage. And we've got divorce for fault. And divorce for fault now, it's like 5 or 6% of the divorce proceedings. And what is uh, new, so it's new since January 2017, but in our eyes, it's still new. Yeah. We've got like a private divorce. So it's a divorce by mutual consent, drafted by lawyers. So one lawyer for husband, one lawyer for wife, registered at the notary's office. Mm -hmm. And people have been discussing a lot about this new form of divorce. And I do not recommend to use this form of divorce when we are dealing with cross-border no. cases between England and France. Uh, why? What, what's the issue with it? Okay, the issue, it's a private divorce. So it's not part of Brussels II uh, regulation. Mm -hmm. uh, the notaire can now deliver the Article 39, so your divorce itself will be recognized. But you cannot enforce clauses about financial provision. If you've got uh, uh, parental rights, residence, you cannot enforce that in England as well because there's no European certificate. Okay. It's a private divorce. So I do not recommend that. If there are like some financial uh, provision to be made between France and England or ongoing support, I will not recommend this 
form of divorce. And this is the new Brussels to revised. So I don't know how we call it in England, but the new one will be coming into force in France uh, in uh, August 2022. This form of divorce will be accepted. So with this form of divorce, you will have a European certificate for children uh, arrangement. But okay. be careful if you've got like spousal maintenance or ongoing financial thing. Do not do this. Do not do that between England and France. Because in any event, if you have the order or, or the document prepared by the notaire, you then have to take it into England, make a new application, yeah. and ask for it. So it's a whole, yeah, okay. So a, might as well you know, the issue of enforcement is too risky. Yeah. And the other, the other point I want to mention, Melanie, is that within to have this form of divorce, you need to be in the same room oh, at yes. the end of the negotiation and to sign the same piece of paper. And so even with the pandemic, the French ministry reminded all, your, all lawyers in France in December 2020, so in the middle of the pandemic, mm -hmm. you must be in the same room and sign together. So at the moment, you know, I've got very, uh, I've got issues to have people traveling to sign documents. So this form of divorce, it's a four-way uh, meeting to sign everything. Okay, so not great. Good to know, because I can see loads of problems of just trying to get five people in a room in the same yeah, place at the same time with quarantine and goodness knows what else. Okay. Um, tell me a bit about the procedural rules which are coming into force, uh, because at the beginning of the year, I think there were more changes. I've kind of heard some things about them, but what is that we need to know? Yes, you're right. So, uh, before it was already longer to issue a French petition than an English petition, because in France, when we draft a divorce petition, we have to address the judge on several points, mm -hmm. and each time we have to address the, the judge on jurisdiction and applicable yeah. law. So it was already a long document. But okay. since January 2021, the document is much longer, okay. and we've got like uh, templates of documents, like it's now 25 pages, Oh uh, it's super complex, and I think they didn't think about uh, forum shopping and people who will have to rush to get a date mm. in front of a court. The, the document has to be very complete. You need to suggest a financial uh, proposition, um, and also you need to seek a date from the court. So you remember when we were rushing to the court to have a stamp with yes. the date? So now it's more complicated in France because you need to request a date from the court. You need to prepare your pleadings. You need to send your pleadings to a French bailiff. Mm -hmm. And it is when the French bailiff will receive your paper that will be the time of uh, the time you will uh, check to, to see whether you have uh, succeeded in uh, forum shopping. So oh, wow. it's, uh, it's more huge. complicated since January 2021 to issue French divorce proceedings. Huh. So that just makes it a lot more complicated because you have to go through all of that without having the time to really consider it, particularly if you're, you know, for example, it, the rest of Europe and you're forum shopping with the other yeah. EU countries. That's a bit of a nightmare. Um, I have a question actually about timings and um, what's been happening with that in, in France, because I... Uh, I know I've talked to you about this before, but I've had proceedings where petitions have been launched in France and nothing's been done with it for a few months or maybe longer than that. In one case, I think almost a year and a half. What, what, is, what do we need to know about timings when it comes to French paperwork? Yeah, 
you were lucky if you could wait for, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for more so than lucky. a year or two years because what we what you need to be careful of in France is if you issue a petition, you need to act on the petition. Mm. There's no there is no live petition; it doesn't exist. So if you do not act on your case, the judge will dismiss your application. There's no liberty to restore, and so French judges do not like to keep uh, files uh, on their uh, on their desk so yeah. uh, if if there is no step being taken they will say no we we will dismiss your case mm -hmm. the other thing is um, about timing what i always tell uh, clients it's you always know when you start a case in france but you never know when you finish yeah. because it's quite easy to appeal a decision in France if mm -hmm. you are not satisfied because you say, no, I'm paying too much spousal maintenance to my wife. I want to pay less. You appeal that there is no need to have a point of law. So it's easy to appeal a decision in France. And once you have uh, registered your appeal proceeding, then sometimes you wait like two years to get a hearing. And the other thing about timing The difference between France and England is I always uh, explain to my French client in London that the judge will give the decision immediately, whereas in France, it's never the case. You are in front of the judge, you explain everything, and then the judge will say, okay, I will give my judgment in two months, three months. Oh my gosh. That just drags things on a lot. Yes. We get upset if we don't get judgment immediately. What do you mean I have to wait until Monday to find out what my decision is? I want my response immediately. Mm. This is like, oh my it's God, different. it's amazing. Um, I have questions actually about matrimonial regimes and uh, contrat de mariage because that, that comes up a lot with my Anglo-French cases. Yeah. What in France, we have this? matrimonial regime mm. and uh, it will be the first information to provide to a judge in divorce proceedings. And this is a very concept for French nationals. And um, so the classic way of drafting prenuptial agreement in France is to organize ownership of assets. There is no clause specifically dealing with the divorce. And generally, the marital contract is signed one week before the wedding and you've got the two fiancés coming to see one notaire and that's done. Mm -hmm. And now what I can see in France is that we adapt French marital contract, when we've got international connection, we adapt them and we give them an English style. So there will be like each fiancé will have their separate lawyer mm -hmm. and there will be financial disclosure. There will be a time frame for the negotiation and we will put dates. The first contract was sent on such date to make sure that it's not finalized today before the, before the wedding. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other point, very important point is that in a French marital contract, you will never see a clause. If we divorce in five years time, I will give you uh, 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 3,000 uh, pounds. That's, there is no mention of uh, spousal maintenance, of future spousal maintenance, of lump sum payment, of what we call in France, prestation compensatoire, mm -hmm. because it's contrary to public policy to organize in advance the figure one will have to give to the other. So what does the contrat de mariage do? Just reinforces the regime matrimonial? Absolutely, yeah. Deal with ownership, inheritance, and uh, yes. And uh, yeah. Okay. And there is another point. 
that maybe we need to mention Melanie to um, English practitioners. Mm-hmm. Is that uh, so? In France, we apply uh, European regulation, mm-hmm. and in France, we apply the European regulation re- relating to matrimonial regime, mm-hmm. dated uh, 2016. We came into force in 2019, and this European regulation has a universal application. So I give you a simple example. You act in England. You draft an English uh, prenuptial agreement. Uh, one of the fiancé is French and has his habitual residence in France mm-hmm. before the wedding. Right. You must comply with the formal French rules to elect a law for matrimonial regime. That means that you will need to have a, an authentical instrument in front of a notaire. So you would have to, even if you're doing an English prenup, you definitely need a French prenup in the background, which is going to be Absolutely. mirroring what the English one says, if yes. at all possible. If your French client has his habitual residence in France, so, so that means okay. if, if one of them has a habitual residence in a member state mm-hmm. of this uh, regulation, you must comply with the formal rules. Yes. Okay. Just a quick question. If you have an English prenup, which says that, for example, the wife agrees not to seek a lump sum upon divorce... Would the French courts accept that? No way. No way. Okay. No way. So we need to be careful of having mirror agreements that mm-hmm. very much respect both laws, if at all possible. Yeah. yeah super, super easy. Mm. Tell me a bit about taxes, because that's always the one thing that really worries me when I'm dealing with French clients. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when we deal with uh, English proceedings. Yeah. You, you are doing a case in England... And people have uh, like a holiday home in France and mm-hmm. they say, okay, we split the, we split the assets. Uh, people n- need to know that there is taxes to pay in France. So until January this year, it was 2.5% of all assets that people will split. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rate has been reduced to 1.8%, but still this is an important consideration to, to take into account. Because when you uh, when you split assets, there will be always a percentage of tax to be paid. And is that the entirety of the assets in, let's say, France and England, or the entirety of the assets in France that are only looked at when you're looking at the taxation? Very good question. So when I do um, an if I do the divorce in England, mm-hmm. uh, I will explain to the French notaire that because in England there is no matrimonial regime, mm-hmm. the judge deals with everything at the same time. So mm-hmm. we have already liquidated the matrimonial regime, but there mm-hmm. is still a property in France and you need to have a proper deed of transfer in France. And so the tax will be applicable on the net equity of the value. So you will deduct the mortgage if there is a mortgage, but the tax will be ap- uh, applied to the net value of the property. And I give you another example People need to watch about taxes in France. Uh, I was involved in a case where uh, um, they are both in London and the, the husband issued in France. Mm-hmm. I told you the French judge will, the first question is, what is your matrimonial regime? And for this instance, they are in community of assets. Mm-hmm. So community of assets, it's property, uh, balances on the bank accounts. So they've mm-hmm. got like a huge pot to share mm-hmm. and because it is in France it's a total uh, total oh, wow. pot that is uh, taxable so y- where people need to people need to be careful of that yes 
Um, am I correct in thinking that maintenance is taxable in France? Yes, it is. Yeah. And, uh, and, and French people are uh, always surprised when you explain it's neutral in England. You don't mm -hmm. have to pay income. But in France, it's the opposite. So in France, if uh, a wife receives spousal income, she needs to be careful because she will have to pay uh, tax as if she was uh, receiving, if she receives spousal maintenance, it's like uh, receiving an income. So it would be better for, for in that case to be capitalized? Yes, it would be better. Yeah. Okay, yeah. interesting. Um, this is one of my favorite things. It's, it's, a, it's a minute point, but it, it's so different culturally. Names. What do we do with names on divorce? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, situation of French national, nationals divorcing in the UK. So the name is very important because we cannot change or amend a name. You cannot go to any solicitor, deed of poll. No, no, no. You cannot do that with French law. No. Uh, the wife can use the name of her husband while she's married. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the marriage, the husband needs to give permission for the wife to continue to carry on his name. So I always recommend in financial uh, English financial consent order to add a recital that the husband allows the wife to uh, keep uh, to use his name. Because when the French wife wants to renew her passport, everything, the French authority will ask, where is your former husband consent about the name? My gosh. And, mm. and do you give a timing for that? Do you say for the minority of the children or is it just... It's general, do, yeah. general, but generally, husband will say, yes, I would like my wife to have the same name as my children. Or if the wife is a professional that is only known under her husband's name, she could have like a strong argument in front yeah. of the court. But the first, the first uh, point is that first you need to seek, to seek the husband's permission. permission. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I, I think that just is a perfect example of the differences between the two jurisdictions. That is just awesome. Um, this is something that I have been struggling with recently. I've had a lot of inquiries about this, registering English divorces in France. Mm. Um, with uh, Brexit, etc., we've had a bit of a difficulty. What, what do we need to think about? What, what are we looking at? Yeah, and uh, once again, this is like a particularity to the French system, and it's so, so important So English practitioners, when we finish a case, it's when we receive the decree absolute and you send it to the client, this is your decree absolute, end of story, goodbye. Yeah. In France, the case doesn't stop at decree absolute because uh, a French national cannot remarry if the divorce has not been registered. So in France, on your birth certificate, you've got mention. So on your birth certificate, it would be written on the side, married, such date, and then it will be written on the side, divorced by court of this. So uh, it's, uh, it's compulsory to register the divorce in France because that's the proof that the, um, that the divorce can be opposed to third party if you've mm -hmm. got a bank, a joint mortgage. Uh, and if there was no registration of the divorce, the bank will not care. And she will. And if the bank want, wants to sue the husband, even if the husband is no longer liable, she will say there's no proof of the divorce. This is a proof of the divorce. And nobody cannot remarry if they have not registered first their divorce. Yeah. Okay. And how do we, how do we go about doing that? How do we do that? So before Brexit, yeah. <laughs> that was... <laughs> 
easier. Even though I, I think it's long and there is no rule with the court. So before Brexit, uh, you had like a, a certified translation of the decree absolute and you were requested from the English court the Article 39 certificate. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you receive it within months. Sometimes you wait three or four months. There is no rule. I never understood. And now, following Brexit, I have not done it yet. But the proceedings is more complicated because the French prosecutor will check um, the, the, the phrase, the French phrase is verify. The, the French prosecutor will verify the proceedings. So you will need to provide birth certificates of both parties, proof that the decree absolute is a final order. I've never yet done that. How do you, how do you say that? Uh, for us, it's simple. The decree absolute is final, but you will have to, to testify it's a final order. Proof of residence of each spouse at the time of the issue. So keep on file uh, the thing at the beginning of the proceedings. And clearly, there will be more delays because we now, and I still have proceedings before Brexit, so I'm still seeking 39 certificates. And mm -hmm. when you've got your certificate, you send this paper to the town hall of the place that's celebrating the marriage, and it's all done within a, within a few days. So now it will be longer. Yeah, no doubt. I, I have yet to have that, but I have several had, uh, had several people asking me, how do we go about it? And it's just been like, well, <laughs> it's a little bit more complicated now. Um, okay, that... That covers um, a lot of um, information on the divorce front. Is there anything that we haven't touched on on divorce and finances that you think we need to consider? I, I think we've really covered everything we wanted to talk about. Yeah. Um, if we're okay, I'd like to move on to children, which yeah, sure. um, also very different in the way we deal with things. Um, and I'd like you to start off by talking to us a little bit about the differences and how in France we deal with children on separation compared to how yes. we deal with it here. Yeah, if, if in France, if you deal with children as part of the divorce, it's the same judge, it's the same document, you have everything in one simple document, so it's different in England. And uh, if a child requests to be heard in front, the judge can hear him or her direct. So there's no Kafka, there's no, so it will be uh, directly. But do they just by call the them judge. into the courtroom to speak to the judge? Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. okay. And the child can be represented by a, by a lawyer. Okay. Uh, the other difference, it's about statements. So when I work with French clients, they say, oh, I'll, I will ask my neighbor, I will ask my uh, the teacher, I will ask the dance class. And I say, no, 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 no. In, in England, you've got one statement for one parent, and it's a quite complete document. Mm -hmm. Where in France, the party don't do statements. In fact, the, the lawyer will write pleadings and you will attach many, many statements from neighbors, from the teacher. And still today, in 2021, statements are uh, handwritten documents. <laughs> and, uh, and you attach a copy of your ID and you, and you testify, yeah, I saw this uh, woman at the playground. She's a fantastic mother. So it's, so it's different. Oh, my God. Hold on, is, um, hold on. It's in ha they're handwritten. How do they... Yeah. Nobody like, would be able to read my handwritten statement. How how did they do this? Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, sometimes sometimes you're stuck. You say, oh, <laughs> can't understand anything. But um, yeah, you can do it on computer. But but still now, in 2021, I see a lot of handwritten ones. And um, 
parental responsibility. Uh, I was a bit uh, surprised when I started uh, practicing in England because for us, for French people, parental responsibility is mom and dad, full stop. And it's super hard for somebody else to get parental responsibility. And when I started working in England, I saw that uh, uh, a relative would travel with a child. So we would, the judge will give the relative parental responsibility and, uh, and step parents married to, to parents. They, they've got like parental responsibility in England. It's not possible in France. So parental responsibility is more restricted in France. Okay. And the other thing I always uh, warn French clients, and I think English practitioners should uh, warn French clients when they when they live in England, it's issue with social services. Mm. So I always explain, okay, in France, so sh- very uh, as a reduce um, uh, explanation, I would say in France, social services act if there is uh, harm. But mm-hmm. in England, Social Services Act, if there is any risk of harm, yeah. and that's a big difference for French people. I've, I've had several French clients panicking when they get social services contacting them because Absolutely. for them, you know, if the, if the French social services contact you, your child is being taken into care. It's as simple as that. Absolutely. Whereas in Absolutely. England, it's like, well, no, they're going to make an investigation and they might decide that there's no, nothing to, to look at and they'll close the, the file, but don't panic. I've had clients leave the country because they fear their child's about to be taken into care. I've, so. Yeah, I've seen, some, I've seen that so many times and uh, we, don't, we have a different vision in France. Mm-hmm. And I remember like uh, maybe four or five years ago, there was uh, like a huge documentary on French TV regarding social services in England. And it was called... Uh, uh, children, uh, uh, stolen children in England. And okay. so clearly it was, okay, if there is anything, they, they, they steal your child and put it into care, put him into care. And uh, yeah, so French people oh are yeah. That's pretty extreme. Mm, yeah. um, okay. Um, child maintenance, schedule one. Do we have something similar in France? I know we have child maintenance, but... So schedule one, that's typical English. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so no, that. there is no equivalent. So in France, uh, you pay child maintenance. Mm-hmm. And uh, child maintenance, I would say, it's, so it's periodical payments. It's like in England, it's uh, according to uh, your income. The mm-hmm. French law says that each parent needs to contribute to uh, the children needs according to their financial uh, capacity. Okay. And the French Ministry of Justice uh, every year uh, uh, produce tables where you see, okay, if I've got this sort of income, I've got two children and I have to pay this figure and uh, give you... So the table, the French table and the English table are different. Mm-hmm. And my experience is that contrary to the idea we should, we have between our two countries for child maintenance, strictly speaking, child maintenance... It's cheaper in England than in France because oh. in France the rates are higher. And another important point in France, and uh, I really like this point because I don't like the English law on that point, is that even if you are on a shared care arrangement, you still pay child maintenance. Mm. Whereas in England, some parents say, I want shared care, I want shared care. And sometimes you say, Why do you want shared care? Because I don't want to pay child maintenance which yeah. is a, a very bad answer. And I can give you some uh, example. For example, so a father, a non-resident parent who will earn like 2,000 euros per month, having two children, share mm-hmm. care. So one week mother, one week father, 
and the this father will have to pay like 224 euros per month so 112 pounds per per child per okay. month so even with share care arrangements you still have to yeah. pay something yeah do you have um and, and is that for parents that are married or unmarried it doesn't matter yes. it's yeah. any about. parents any yes Yeah. And so when you're looking at child maintenance, this is um, just like, you know, we would look at it, uh, child, child, uh, yes. child maintenance service, et cetera, et cetera. But let's say you have a couple who are divorcing and they're doing their requête and they've got everything set out. Do they talk about the child maintenance as per the calculation in the petition? Absolutely. Yeah. So it would have to be calculated then and there. Uh, it's not compulsory. Mm -hmm. so, so it's compulsory to mention child maintenance. And then the table is a guide for a judge. So the judge is not bound by this table, but you will always say, you know, if you look at the table, you've got, it's less formal than in England, because in England, in our forms, you have to put what will be the child service, the child maintenance service figure, okay, yeah. and what top up, top up would you like? In England, in France, we use table, I would say, look at the table. There is this figure. This figure is coming out of the table, but mm -hmm. you will ask for more because of the needs of the children, etc., etc. Right. And the judge is not bound by this table. They are okay. just there to guide him. Okay, that makes sense. Um, do you have school fees orders and things like that? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and that can be, again, it's to do with the child. So it doesn't matter whether you're married or not, whether you're exactly. married or Pexy yeah. or yeah. whatever. It's the fact of this is the child you both absolutely. have. Yeah, Okay, absolutely. and you have responsibility. And so it could be school fees. Take into consideration like housing needs or stuff like that? No, because housing needs for us, it's uh, it will smash an application. Okay. And so, no, it's a uh, it's basic need of a child. So you will have child maintenance because it's food, electricity, etc. You've got school fees. You've got extracurriculum activities. You've okay. got sometimes uh, special medical uh, costs, mm -hmm. but no housing needs. No, not okay. at all. And that's dealt with. And that is it. By agreement, or do you always have to go to the court to do this? No, oh, no, no. People are, are encouraged to negotiate, and mm -hmm. it's easy to to draft what we call the convention parentale or pacte de famille, and you will just uh, re register that with the court if you need. But you can have like a, an agreement between the parents, and that will be enough. Okay, so different. Just mm. di yeah, completely different. Um, okay, we're going to talk about two topics, uh, which I find particularly interesting, um, especially as I, I've, I've, you will have heard previously, um, one of our other guests, Chitesh Patel, was talking about international adoption and international surrogacy. Absolutely. I'm always intrigued to see how different countries deal with this. How do the French look at the topic, the matter of adoption? How do they deal with that? So... There are two differences in England because we can adopt minor or adults. Where mm -hmm. in England, you can only adopt minor children. So yeah. adults can be adopted in France. Okay. And the other big difference is that in France, we've got two sorts of adoption. You've got the simple adoption. So the, the, the adoptee will keep, will maintain a relationship with the two families, mm -hmm. the first family and the adopted family. Or you've got like a full adoption like we have in England where you cut all ties with the birth family. Mm -hmm. And for the second one, do you transfer parental responsibility from the first parents to the second set of parents? 
Yes, yes, yes. Okay. The difference between a between a simple and a plenary adoption is that for inheritance purpose. So mm -hmm. it's if you mention inheritance in the simple adoption, you are part of both families. Okay. So you will inherit from your birth family as a normal child. You will also be able to inherit from your adoptive family. There will be a, a certain taxation, but you are a part of the two inheritance, yes. And is that, is that one of the reasons why there's this simple adoption is to allow the the, yes. the, the Because in France, if I remember correctly, you, you can't write out family members, your, no, your you children can't. from your will yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Exactly, um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, tell me a little bit about surrogacy. I'm always fascinated about how the French look at surrogacy, how they consider yeah. it. So surrogacy is completely illegal in France. Mm -hmm. This is a criminal offense. One year prison for the surrogate mother and a fine of 7,500 for the intended parents. So it's wow. forbidden, full stop. Yeah. But French people can do uh, surrogacy legally abroad. Mm -hmm. And the issue will be, so they will have a baby, and the issue will be, uh, how do we register, because we like registration in France, yes. how do we register the birth of our baby in France? Okay. And um, the European court uh, did not punish the, uh, France, and they said that it was um, an exercise of balance, that mm -hmm. France regressed so, on the, um, if a surrogacy is made legally abroad, one of the parents is mentioned as a birth parent on the mm -hmm. birth certificate. And so in France, the other parents will have to adopt the child. And, uh, and the European Court of Justice said it was okay. And uh, so the other parents has to go through the, through the adoption proceedings. So they so will never uh, be on the birth certificate of that child. It no. will just be that the one parent. It will be just one parent, yeah. And... You might not know this, but um, is it is the birth mother, the surrogate mother, always on the birth certificate for the French authorities? Not, not, uh, not necessarily. Okay. Not necessarily because the birth, for example, the in England you've got a new birth certificate yeah. that raises the, the the birth mother, so not necessarily no. Okay. Oh well, that's fine because that that will obviously make it more more difficult for the intended parents to exactly to consider that. But the adoption makes it more difficult because you're not really the parent; you're the the adopt. Well, you are the parent, yeah. but you don't feel like you're you're the parent from day one effectively exactly no it's complicated because the, the parents who need to adopt generally there is no mention of the surrogate mother so you seek consent of the intended parent who is already registered on the birth certificate but clearly it's complicated in france because i have been uh, dealing with uh, a simple uh, adoption in England mm -hmm. for French nationals. So they adopted a child. The child was put into care from day one. Yeah. And so they adopted this child and they wanted this child to have a French passport. And there was issue in France because France wanted to have the proof that the birth parent did consent to uh, for the adoption. But they and wouldn't so have consent. It's different in England. Because yeah. there is no formal consent yeah. if uh, if local authority uh, 
uh, acts immediately upon birth, and so yeah. Oh wow! So how does how does the how do you prove that then? So you prove it by a statement of uh, law from an English practitioner explaining that the law is different in England. And so if the child has been taken into uh, special guardianship or special mm -hmm. care of the local authority, uh, you explain that the birth parent can oppose the, the end of the process of adoption, but there's no formal consent to, to give and to record. Okay. Wow. I love the French. Please provide us with the law <laughs> written by a lawyer so that we understand how it works in your country. Okay, that's that's great. Um, my takeaway from this is at all times have a care for what's going on in France. Yeah. Preferably seek advice from a French lawyer, even if it is just a phone call to say, what's going on? What do I need to be aware of? Absolutely. Because there are always pitfalls um, that we just don't think about because the French system is just so weird. Sorry, so, so very different from the English system rather than weird. <laughs> so very different. Um, and have a good network of French lawyers. Oh, another question, something that I didn't ask you last time uh, when we chatted. Um, does it really matter where your lawyer is based? So if, for example, your clients are from Paris, but you speak to a notaire in Toulouse, or pardon, an avocat in Toulouse, is that okay? Is, there, is the law different yes, in okay. different areas or what? Yes, it's okay. So the, the, uh, there, there is nothing simple in France. So the answer is yes and no. <laughs> Obviously. So you, can, you can instruct any lawyer, mm -hmm. okay? But if there are pleadings in front of a court, of a tribunal, sometimes you need to have a local lawyer. Oh, so it's not like we do in England that you send your barrister in London to Manchester and it's okay. No. Mm -hmm. So uh, some, for some proceedings where uh, representation is compulsory, you have the lawyer who will prepare the case, do the pleadings, meet with the clients, and mm -hmm. then you have a local lawyer acting as a letterbox plus 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 that will have his name on all the pleadings and uh, so you need to have uh, two lawyers yes okay good to know so double double costs nice okay no double, cost, no double cost no? <laughs> the the what we call the postulant the yeah. letterbox uh, lawyer will be like a fixed fee generally. Ah, but, okay, right, okay. But you, on your pleadings, you still have to have two names because the court will need to have a name of a lawyer registered at their bar. There is no one national bar in France. You've got Paris, you've got other, other areas, and uh, yeah. Nice, confusing, great. Yes, and I am at the Paris bar and at the Toulouse bar. I mean, uh, oh, you're at both, okay. Yeah, I'm both, yeah. <laughs> And you're in the, and you're in England as well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to go through that with me. That is a lot of information and probably advise that people come directly to you to ask these questions in future. But that mm -hmm. is absolutely amazing. I have one final question, which is um, the question I always ask at the end of my podcast. What is your favorite coffee? I don't drink coffee, Melanie. <laughs> I love green tea. So I've got a green tea. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's acceptable. Green tea is acceptable. Okay, fine. Um, Thanks. Paul thank you so much for doing that, for taking My time pleasure, out of your day to speaking to me. And I will be asking you to come back because I will have a whole bunch of other questions to ask about different parts of family law. So Wonderful. Thank you so much and have a good day. Thank you. Family Law and Lattes will continue next week. 
In the meantime, if you have any suggestions about the podcast or topics you'd like to hear discussed in the future, please send me a tweet at Melanie underscore Batayar, message me on Instagram at Melanie Batayar, or email me at familylawandlattes at gmail.com.